Hey, everybody. Wow, we're really spread out. This is great. Um, my name is Chris Jarrett. If I haven't met you yet, um, I am the marriage and family director here. I've been here for about a year and a half. And you'll meet my wife, Katie, next week. We're going to do a couple sessions. But we're really glad you guys are here. We, uh, she's probably going to be bothered that I didn't do this. We have, yep, I didn't put a family picture up. We have eight kids uh, and five grandkids. So our four oldest kids are married. And then we've got five wonderful grandkids. And um, one day, maybe, you'll, we're not there yet. But it's, uh, being a grandparent is awesome as well. So here's what we're going to do. Tonight, uh, this first session is kind of a big picture of why we need to be um, thinking God's way about being parents. It's really easy, I know, to get caught up in like details and due dates and birthing classes and breathing and um, colors of rooms. But what we want to do in this first uh, talk is really kind of zoom out and just go, so what is God's picture for parenting? What's the, what's the big idea of why we're doing this? And then we're going to get to some specific things in the next couple sessions. But our theme, I'll just go ahead and tell you, our motto for the family ministry is partnering with parents to build Christ-centered homes. And the reason we say partnering is we just want to remind you that it is your primary responsibility uh, to raise these wonderful gifts that God has given you. And it, it's a thing that happens. I used to be a youth pastor where it's so easy to look to the church and say, well, you guys are like the paid professionals and we'll, we'll take care of like, you know, food, feeding them and clothing them. You guys raise them, you know, morally and things like that. And um, we will do the best we can during the one hour they're here. But God has put the responsibility on parents to be the ones to primarily do that. Primarily do that. So that's why we say we are partnering with parents to build Christ-centered homes. We're meeting tonight and next week, but I want to make sure that you are aware, if you want even some more um, parenting stuff, in November we have a parenting conference. So if you want to go ahead and get way ahead of the game, we are going to have a Friday night and Saturday morning on into the afternoon, uh, November 10th and 11th, with breakouts that cover pretty much anything you can think of related to parents. And that's a little QR code if you want to click on that. But that is our parenting conference, again, November 10th and 11th. Well, if you look on your outlines that are in front of you, there's going to be a few blanks that will keep us locked in. For some of you, you're going to love this because that makes sure you can follow along and know when we're getting close to the end. We're going to have some table dialogue. If you didn't hear, we've kind of grouped you according to your zip code at your table so you didn't know people that are closer to you. That was the plan, by the way, if you didn't know that. And uh, we'll have some get-to-know-you time in just a minute. But if you look at the top of your notes right there, some important premises. The very first one is, the family is. So I'll just put this up here. The family is a foundational aspect of God's creation, designed to reveal his glory and character, disciple parents and children. So did you guys catch that? This is going to disciple you. Like this is going to be a part of what God uses to sanctify you. For example, I thought I was a very patient person until I had children. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not very patient. And so having children is our job, our job is to be disciplers, but it's also going to disciple you. It's going to grow you. So disciple parents and children and pass on his purposes to the next generation. So the concept of family obviously was God's from the beginning. You can go all the way back. It's mentioned there in Genesis 128, where God blesses them and, and tells them to be fruitful, increase the number, multiply, fill the earth. And that was God's plan for men and women to uh, marry and have kids. And uh, you form this one flesh union that then is supposed to be mirroring the gospel 
Your kids' first exposure to the gospel is what they see in the home with mom and dad, where your marriage is a picture of the marriage between Christ and the church, obviously imperfectly. Obviously, lots of um, stumbling and fumbling and asking for forgiveness as we go through all this. But that's part of God's purpose for the family. Kurt Bruner, who is a family expert, has said this, two essential elements of family, marriage and parenthood, reveal God's character like nothing else in creation. The love between a husband and wife provides a glimpse of Christ's passionate devotion to us as his bride. In the same way, the ups and downs of parenthood offer a compelling picture of God's tenderness and patience towards us as his children. And family does more than reflect God's character. It provides a safe place where children can experience God's love through their parents and learn how to love other people. So that's just kind of a reminder of both your marriage, which is why we're going to talk about that in the second session, and your parenting. Both of them are opportunities where you model either the gospel or God's love towards his children. Okay? So it's, it's an awesome, again, like I said, sanctifying tool that God uses in our lives. Just to remind you of how significant this is, I was sharing this with our, uh, one of our uh, groups, the, one of the meetings we were having to get ready for the parenting conference. And some of you heard me share this before, but there was a book written by a guy named Carl Zimmerman. He was this Harvard sociologist called Family and Civilization. And what he did is he looked at all the major civilizations throughout history, but in particular, the two big great ones, the Greeks and the Romans. And he said, here's what they all kind of had in common, and here is what uh, similarities were kind of going on that led to their demise. And what he said was, all of them started out with a strong nuclear family. So mom and dad and children, right? And marriage was held in honor, and it was kind of this strong uh, part of civilization as they were flourishing. But then as they got more and more um, rich and well-off, things began to crumble internally that he says led to them being able to be conquered easier. But here's the crazy thing. What he says is in the last and final stage of all of these civilizations, um, marriage gets redefined. Divorce becomes more and more easy. Um, affairs are uh, frowned upon less. People don't want to have children. Um, people who do have children, it gets harder and harder to be a parent. There's kind of this anti-family sentiment amongst the pseudo-intellectuals that permeates in the culture. There's this negative outlook towards the founders of your civilization, of your country. Interesting, right? And then the big thing was all of these sexual perversions abound. And we just got all these other things besides one man and one woman having children. And what he said was all of those are symptoms of kind of the final stage before civilizations collapse. Now, here's what's crazy, you guys. He wrote this in 1947. So when he was writing this, you look at America, and America was like, the strong part that, you know, on that side. And now we're on this other weird uh, end of that spectrum. And the main thing, I mean, the main takeaway obviously is the fate of Western civilization rests on you right now. I'm just kidding. Totally just kidding. But <laughs> some of you are like, are you, are you serious? No. The reason I share that with you though, is it is obvious just, and this is a secular study that marriage and family is a huge part of what holds society together. And you go then all the way back to Genesis. This was God's plan to hold civilization together. So this is where the, the study real, you know, reveals that. And we need to realize, I mean, this is an awesome, wonderful blessing and a gift to have children. But we're also a part of a bigger body of Christ and a bigger part of, uh, of a civilization trying to point people back to Jesus. And so this is uh, a big role that we're taking on in all of this. The other verse that I have for you there on uh, Genesis 18, God was speaking to Abraham and he was about to do 
um, a big thing uh, to a certain city in the next chapter. But it says this, I think this is kind of an interesting peek behind the curtains of God's plan for Abraham, where he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm, what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And here's the key part, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. In other words, he was saying, listen, Abraham is going to be the father of many nations, all these things, but starting with Abraham, I've chosen him, and he's going to direct his family. He's going to lead his family in the way of righteousness, that he's the one that I'm now going to use. And if you read on through all the Old Testament, Abraham now is the, 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 who the Messiah ends up coming from, right? The line of Judah and David and all those things. But this goes all the way back to God's plan to bless um, the whole world through Abraham's offspring. Here's the honest truth. If you look in the next part of your notes, uh, Roman numeral one uh, letter B, the honest truth is this. There are no perfect parents and no shortcuts to helping our kids mature. Okay? Even God, the father, all of his children are bad. (laughs) Okay? So even our perfect heavenly father, we all screw up. So there are no perfect parents. And this is just part of the reminder for you as a parent, as your kids grow, that, that they are not your report card. Okay, your identity is in Christ, not their performance, not your performance as a parent or your consist- consistency or not. But this is where you need to realize why I picked that picture of a child who's also, by the way, wearing like a prison uniform with a number on it. That's kind of the point there. We are sinners raising sinners. Like I have to remember that when I'm about to discipline my kid, like Lord, help me, a fellow sinner, to get to his heart, to get to their heart so they can see really the beauty of, of the gospel. But this is just it, that there's no perfect parents. And so even when you're raising kids, because they're little sinners as well, it's not, we think of like stages like terrible twos or, you know, teen rebellion or whatever. It's just, it's just sin. Like we just um, need help. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God working in our hearts because we're naturally, um, we don't like authority. We don't like people, including parents, telling us what to do. So this is why in Proverbs it says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Okay. It's just a reminder, like, listen, part of our job is as cute as these little babies are going to be, as they grow, they've got their own little attitudes that uh, they might throw. Our daughter is named Annabeth, but she had what we called an attitude all the time that uh, we had to deal with. So that's just a little reminder of of what you're in for. But um, again, this is where God uses it and redeems us. So here's the big picture. Two things I want you to write down, primary role and primary goal. The primary role of a parent is to be a disciple maker. Like your, your role will change as far as you're providing for your kids, you're coaching them, you're, you're kind of being the cop, all these things. But ultimately you need to think of it as I am a disciple maker, that this is my disciple that God has given me and I'm responsible to the Lord. He's gonna hold me accountable for it, but I am a disciple maker. And this goes back even just to the great commission from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. My favorite thing about this passage is the two bookends that Jesus says. He says, listen, I have all authority, and I will always be with you. So in between that, where you need to rest is this command to go make disciples. Now, Here's the big deal. This is what you need to realize that a lot of parents don't think of. Your home, as your kids are growing up, 
is the place for evangelism. That is a mission field. If you look at this statistic, this is kind of this 4 to 14 window. And some of you know that you can become a believer, obviously, at different ages. You became one later. But on average, pretty much every study that you look at, about 85% of all decisions for Jesus happen between ages 4 and 14. Okay? What's also interesting is there's a, a LifeWay study recently that came out that said a child's worldview is basically set in place by age 13. A lot of times we think of like 17, 18, getting them ready for college. We got to work in that worldview. No, by age 13, it's pretty much set. So in this beautiful window you have, ages 4 to 14, you have an opportunity to evangelize the lost, meaning the children in your home, and you have an opportunity to establish their worldview that they're going to take with them into high school and into college. Like, it's an awesome, sobering responsibility, but this is the big picture that you need to think of yourself as a disciple maker, okay? The primary goal of a parent is to be faithful. That God is not saying your goal should be success, victory, kids who witness to their whole school and convince their coach that he should be a believer. Like, all that would be great. Your job, my job as a parent, is just to be faithful. Here's what God's called me to do. I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to trust him to take care of everything else, to give me the grace that I need and everything, and the results are up to him. I just want to be found faithful, okay? Matthew 25, uh, 23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what God is asking us to be, just faithful. And so I want to make sure my heart is beating for what God's heart beats for, right? That he could say to me, actually, well done, good and faithful servant. You loved the people I love, right? That you have the priorities that I had, that you were thinking with eternity in mind, okay? And there's a whole lot that just goes into day, daily routines, day in and day out stuff, that you need to remember that it is really hard to tell the eternal significance of present faithfulness. And that's true for anything that you're doing right now. That sometimes you just don't see the big picture. You don't see the results happening the way you would want it to happen right now. But it's the present faithfulness that we need to work on. And then the eternal significance we'll find out later. Okay? So how do we do this? There's four aspects of being a faithful parent. Roman numeral two there. Number one is model your faith. Number one is you model your faith. That your kids are not as, what's going to impact them is not so much what, they, what you say you believe, it's going to be what they see you believe. Does that make sense? There's a phrase, more is caught than taught. So it's what you're modeling for them that is going to make the bigger impact. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life. And when we say that, we're not talking about perfection, okay? We're talking about just a pattern, that I'm pursuing Jesus, and I am not going to be perfect, and I need to make it a big deal when I blow it that I tell my kids I'm sorry, that I apologize, that I admit that, because I know I'm not perfect. They're going to figure out that I'm not perfect, so let's just get, get that out of the way and just get to the apology, right? But I want to model my faith as best I can. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul was reminding Timothy of something. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt, and your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well, okay? So what your kids want to see, there's three A's right there. They want to see a faith that is authentic, okay? So that's just, and this is really, really important. I'm just going to be living out my faith as best I can. My father-in-law, who didn't become a believer until he was 40, 
would say, this is not perfect, just real. I'm not perfect, I just want to be real. And guys, you can't make your kids believe, but you can make it really hard for them to doubt, okay? Like you can live a life in front of them that they're just like, it seems like the real, it seems like they, it affects every part of their life. This isn't just like this compartmental, you know, zation that we do with religion and things like that. Like this seems to be everything that we do, decisions, um, you know, we pray, we give, like all those things. Because some of you know what that's like. I grew up in a home where it's just a compartment. It's a part of our lives. We've added Jesus onto our lives versus Jesus is our life, right? Okay, it's kind of like we're the, we're the uh, director and the producer, Jesus gets a role versus he's the producer, he's the star, I have a role. But it's gotta be like, I, I wanna make sure that this is authentic, okay? Not perfect, just authentic. The next one, uh, it's active, okay? So what are your kids observing? What are they seeing you do um, sacrifice for, they notice those things. What I could tell my kids all day long what's important, but they're going to know what I actually value by what I pay for, what I plan for, and what I praise. Like what I'm willing to fork over money for, that's going to tell them something. What I'm planning for, like making time for, and then what I get excited about, what I praise. That's what tells my kids what really is, um, what my faith is really about. And then the last one, again, attractive. Like I said, not perfect, uh, just real. Uh, I just love the reminder from John 10 where Jesus said, I've come to give you life to the full, okay? To the fullest. There it is up there, okay? So the second aspect of faithful parents, number two, is you train in truth. You're gonna train them. Your, your job is to just make the best use of the opportunities that God gives you, but it's gotta be intentional. Here's where I love the reminder from Deuteronomy 6, and this is the foundation for pretty much everything that we do in our family ministry. It says, hear, O Israel, and that word hear in the Hebrew means you're listening with the intent to obey. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So everything about you, all of your everything, you love God first. And then it says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, not just in my head, but they're on my heart. And the reason that's important is whatever's on my heart I talk about, naturally, that's just what we do. That's what social media tells us, right? Whatever I'm excited about, I want you to be excited about. I saw this picture, I want you to see this picture. I heard the song, I want you to hear the song. And that's the way it works with social media. So whatever's on my heart, I just get excited about. I can't help but I talk about it. So God's command to his people were, first of all, you love me with all your everything, okay? First, most, best. And then my word is on your heart. And then what's the first application after that? Like what it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. You shall talk of them. When? When, when do you do this? When you sit in your house. Or when you walk by the way. Or when you lie down. Or when you get up. Look what it says. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. It's just a word environment. They should be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. So it's just something where we have a word environment. Okay? It's just going to be something that we do. We'll talk about it at the table or in the car or at bedtime or in the morning, whatever it is, but his word is on my heart and then it overflows um, by what I talk about. Right? Jesus said that, remember? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? So this is our job to train in truth. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The reason I have a picture of the temple there is because the word train, this is the only time it's translated train. It's actually the word hanak where we get the word Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. 
Anytime that word is used in the Old Testament, besides here, it's translated as dedicate. When the temple was dedicated or a house was dedicated. So this is your dedicating a child in the way he should go. Okay? The three things it mentions uh, next about your training, it should be training that is purposeful. So do you have a plan? And obviously right now you're just working on having a baby. But we've got other classes like Parenting on Point or the Parenting Conference to give you a plan. Uh, Training that is personal, so being a good detective of your child's interests and needs, that um, God has good works for your child to live out. He's got a purpose for your child, and it's his purpose, not your purpose. But you need to study them. How has God wired them? What's their love language? What's their personality? What am I praying for my child? And then it's perpetual. And uh, what that means there is I just need to remember, man, they really do grow fast. I just remember... When we had our first little guy and he was just in diapers and these older people would tell me things like, oh, just cherish these moments. They go so fast. And I'd be like, yeah, right. I just want to get out of diapers. Like, that's just the thing. Like, I, but now that baby of mine is 29 years old and he's a father of two himself. And I just go, what? How did that happen? And so you make the best use of the time. Um, I like the, the thought of a countdown that if, And again, if this doesn't happen, there's nothing wrong with you. But if we think of 18 years is launch date. Like I'm going to be equipping my kids, so I'm counting down. All right? That is only 6,574 days. That still sounds a lot, like a lot. But this doesn't sound like a lot, you guys. That's 216 months. That's actually not that long. And so that's why the Bible says... Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, the best use, okay? And that that requires some discernment to know, like, is this the best thing right now, or is it just an okay thing, okay? So, again, the the beauty of that, the reason I like the shot clock idea is just because then it's like, well, once the buzzer goes off, your time's up. With uh, mission control, even once it's up in space there, you're still involved, right, in uh, in guiding, because they still need guidance, on uh, even after they leave your house. Let me just tell you one other thing. We're going to introduce this at the parenting conference that we're providing for you guys that will start um, right after the conference. But we have a thing that we're offering parents called the Faith Path. And this is just a whole set of resources we want to give you, starting with the parent dedication, which is one of the things you'll get in your packets next week on what, how, how do we, what does it mean to dedicate our, our child? And it's not child dedication, it's parent dedication. Okay, And then... Here's what we're going to do is pretty much every year we want to give you a new resource. Like between one and two years old would be a great time to learn. What does it mean to start blessing my kids, to pray over my kids? When they're three years old, what does it mean to start having a habit of family time together? We're making a special time each week. As they get a little bit older, what does it mean to start having gospel conversations? How do I do that? So what we're going to do is just every year give you this new resource that you just get to apply. Instead of being stressed out like, I'm going to teach them to pray, to type, to read the Bible, to like all these things. Hey, just this year, let's just work on giving. Let's just talk about what does it mean to give. This year, let's just talk about serving, okay? So that's something that we're about to launch um, very soon, uh, coming up in November. Okay, third aspect of parental, uh, faithful parenting is pray in faith. So this is the big part where we have this dependent responsibility, where God calls us to do things, but then I got to remember, but he is the only one who's going to be able to make it successful, Okay? So he calls me to open my Bibles, to read my Bible, so I can do that. But then I'm fully dependent on him to open my eyes, to convict me, to empower me. Like, it's this dependent responsibility thing. 
okay? So we're praying, though, because we realize, man, Lord, we're dependent, not just when I realize I need help, but like I need to start my day off realizing, Lord, I need help, okay? So there's an interesting story with a father and a child in Mark 9. Some of you recognize this. There was a demon-possessed boy. Jesus was brought to him. None of the disciples can help. And he's asked this question, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Uh, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Let me just stop there. The praying continually, I just think of that parent, if I were that parent, I would be praying continually because it seems like, man, nothing is working. There's something wrong with my child. Like often this thing is trying to kill him. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm thinking that, man, not to, not to live in fear, but I have an enemy who doesn't want me to raise my kids in a godly way, who doesn't want them to grow up to serve Jesus, who doesn't want my marriage to thrive. And so I want to have this continual hedge of protection that I'm praying over my kids. Also, specifically, um, I love in this story that the man specifically said, have compassion on us and help us. The word compassion doesn't just mean feel sorry for us. It means action. Okay, if you look at any time Jesus had compassion, it's always followed with action, okay? So have compassion on us. So that's the way my prayer needs to be. It needs to be specifically, Lord, what am I asking you to do for my kids? Some of you are thinking already, like, here's the name that we chose and why we, we named it. Or here's the verse we're praying over our kids. But be specific. And one thing I've learned from my wife is you pray specific, and then you see God answer specific, okay? Aim small, miss small. Anyone, the Patriot fan movie? No, never mind. Okay, humbly uh, is the next one. What I love about this father is he really was desperate, okay? Um, he said, uh, you know, if you can, and Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help. Help my unbelief. I know that I'm wavering. I know that it needs to be stronger. So I'm humbly saying, Lord, please help my unbelief. And then the last one is extravagantly. This is where Ephesians 3 comes in. I love this reminder. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And, and some of you have experienced the, the miracle of just that you're pregnant, okay? That that is more, that's a, abundant grace that God has poured out, that he's done far more abundantly. But also to think, Lord, I want to pray a prayer for my kids. I want to pray for you to do something utterly disproportionate to who I am. Like, I just want big things for your kingdom, for your glory, what this is saying. So to him is the glory. And this is, this is where you're, you're a little bit of releasing your kids to the Lord. Like, Lord, I'm trusting you that you're going to um, use them for your purposes. So um, praying that way. Last one, you need to trust the Lord. Okay, you're trusting. Um. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, which you will rise early and stay up late very soon. Toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. He's the one who's doing the watching and the working, the providing. And then it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord or a gift from the Lord. The fruit of their womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So I am trusting, Lord, these are arrows in your hand. 
that you are going to launch. I want to help aim them. I want to help point them to the point, okay, what life is really about. But these are, these are arrows in your hand to be launched for uh, your kingdom and your glory. And my kids are these living messengers. They're, they're going to go places I've never been and never will go. But my prayer is wherever they go, Lord, that you use them for your name and your fame, okay? So this is just a reminder, even when it comes to trusting, where are you tempted to parent out of fear? Are you scared looking at this culture that you're raising your kids in? Like, what in the world? Who would have thought? I never thought I'd see the day. Like, do you feel like that? Like, maybe we should just find a remote island and raise them on an island? Or what should we do? Because this is a crazy culture. Are you parenting out of fear that you're going to fail or you're going to repeat your parents' mistakes or whatever it is? And that's where um, God's got you covered. He's, get, he's got all the grace that you need in all of this. Okay? I love this quote from Craig Rochelle. He said, what you fear the most often reveals where you trust God the least. So it's a matter of just constantly giving things over the Lord. Lord, I trust you. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with their health. I trust you with their development. Like all these things, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to give me the desire, the power, the wisdom, okay? And God is, he's gonna give you the wisdom you need for your kids, okay? The, uh, the next blank there is just parents should be marked by joy and peace. Okay, those are fruits of the spirit. When I think of what kind of home do I want my children to grow up in, and this is always a struggle in my home. Where I'm parenting 2.0 right now with a 9 and a 10-year-old, and we have a foster daughter. Our home is kind of crazy. But what I would love, 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 and here's what I want you to think of is way down the road, when your kids look back, if they could say, man, my home was one of joy and peace. That doesn't always mean quiet, okay? But maybe shalom, like absence of, uh, of conflict and there's wholeness and things like that there that's going on. Like that's what I would love, that at least my life is marked by that, okay? And that's, again, a fruit of the Spirit. So the last part we had mentioned, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the way to think of this, that last blank. We must parent for the well done of our father rather than the best mommy or daddy ever of our kids, it would be great if your kids just go, man, my parents were awesome, but that, is, that cannot be my motivation. It's got to be, Lord, I want to just do this where I can hear you as my father say, well done, you were faithful, okay? Rather than, do my kids think I'm cool? Did my kids think I raised them well? Or was I a fun parent? Like, that's not my goal, okay? I want to be able to, uh, to hear my father say, well done. Okay. Well, that's a quick look at the big deal. Let me just tell you what we're going to do. We're going to bookend this class, the end of next week, talking about, so what is your kind of a mission statement for your family, mission statement for your kids? So we're going to end with kind of zooming back out. We're going to take a five-minute break, and we really mean five minutes. Uh, there's bathrooms. There's some water back there. When we come back, we'll talk uh, in our second session about making your marriage a priority. So five minutes ready, break. All right, all right. We're gonna we're gonna keep us rolling here. Um, all right, here we go. Chris, great job, by the way. Thank you. So my name is Luke Baker. This is my wife Ashley. Do we have a uh, picture coming up here? All right. If I have some feedback, I'm not sure I'm tech savvy enough to know what to do about it. So uh, it's really hard for yeah. me to do. This is... All right. So uh, my name is Luke. This is Ashley. This is our family right here. We have five children. And if you all could give it up, one more baby on the way. 36 weeks. 36 weeks? Yeah. Let's go. Okay. So 
Before we get started, I want to show you a, a video. This is a clip that is a fast forward into your life coming up soon. Okay, Chris is going to tell me when it's ready. All right, but it might not work. We'll see if we can get it. All right, he's going to keep working on it. All right, so... Now, you, I don't have a cool prophetic video to show you, but your life is going to get crazy, okay? And it's going to get really fun, but it's going to be a crazy type of fun. And it, it's going to be one of those things that is going to come with a lot of firsts. It's going to change you as a person, and it is going to push you. And one of the things that, that we, we like to show you just to tee this up is if you think about your life now, you think about your relationship, really all of your relational time with your spouse is just with your spouse. What's going to happen is a, a baby is going to come and it's going to start to look like the visual you see on the screen here, which is roughly something, a blue screen of, you don't know what's going on. There we go. So this is, this is what happens to the common couple after the baby comes. So what used to be a lot of time that they got with each other, 90% of that time goes to the baby and you have about 10% of your time remaining with your spouse. Okay, this is common. We call this surviving. Uh, you know, another way to think of this is this is like child-centered parenting. It's kind of something that makes us all bristle. You know, call me anything, but don't call me child-centered parent. And this is what you're going to run into if you're not careful. And, and what Ashley and I want to challenge you with tonight is a, a better way. So a way that looks a little bit more like this above, where instead of doing 90-10 on your baby, you actually are doing 75% spouse, 25% baby. That is an uncommon parent right there. And the reason you do that is because it's really the marriage that raises the child. Okay, so if you heard, if you heard what Chris said, you know, this stuff is, is better caught than taught. It's not what you say you believe. It's what they see you believe. Doing something like that, that's how you model that right there. Okay, so to do that, to challenge you with that, we have seven things that we've, we've learned over the years that we wanted to share with you to help you make your marriage a priority as we go. All right? Let's kick it okay, off. Okay, so the first one in your book is going to be that you are still on the same team. Um, there's an enemy. It's not your spouse. It's not your child. It's Satan. Um, John Tinton is the thief. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if there is any crack that he can find um, to wedge himself into something that uh, feels like this may be God glorifying, this may bless other people, like he's going to do it. And so um, you're on the same team and pursuing one another is just really important. Um, we would encourage y'all like believe the best, don't assume the worst, um, and then be gracious to one another. Like y'all are both learning this. It's all new. No one's going to be perfect at it. And that's okay. Um, I think whenever we first had our first one, um, you know, it's like the middle of the night, and the baby starts crying. Looks like it's fine. I'll go get him. It's okay. And it so wasn't my night to get the baby. I was just being a great servant. <laughs> I'm gonna help you um, out. And so it's fine. Like that's great. Like oh, good. I could just keep sleeping. Well, you know, like five minutes goes by, baby's still crying. Ten minutes goes by, baby's still crying. I'm like, I can just do it. Like it'll be fine. Like I know how to fix this whole situation. Um, and so I get up, and I'm like, Luke, like just give me the baby. It's fine. Like you go back to bed. This will be done. 
done in like five minutes so we can all go back to bed. Um, and he's like, no, like this, it, I need to learn how to do this and like I can do it. And I'm like, no, but y'all, 2 a.m. is not the time to discuss. We're like pulling the baby <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> not, not really. We were very gentle. Um, but, you know, 2 a.m. is not the time to, to figure out like who's going to take what and who's going to do the other thing. And the reality is like, yes, maybe I'm with a baby more during the day. And so I understand maybe what what the cues are or what needs to happen, but Luke's the dad, and he's going to have to figure out also how to console the baby. And so, um, you know, that is where it is on me to be gracious, to be like, hey, maybe it takes longer, and maybe you, you know, do it a different way, but that's okay, too. We both need to figure it out, um, and we are on the same team at this point in consoling the baby. Yeah, because when things don't go as planned, you're going to be frustrated, and then you want to figure out why you're frustrated. You'll very rarely be frustrated yourself. Like, it's anybody's <laughs> fault but mine, and, you know, it's kind of like your spouse is the first person that you um, want to get frustrated at. And then just, like, in, in a team effort, there's lots of people who are going to want to help you in team, and we would just encourage y'all, like, team, it really is you and your spouse, um, and y'all are the ones who make up your family dynamic and the culture of your family. Lots of times this... Um, the next person in can usually be like mother-in-laws who really, really want to help, and they're so excited that the grandbaby is here. Um, and we would just encourage y'all that like your team is two; it's not it's not three. And so set those boundaries. You can always loosen them if you need to, but go ahead and like make that a priority now. Um, and then just for a verse that we like for this is Colossians three twelve through fourteen, and it's put on then it's God's chosen ones, um, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another. If you have a complaint, forgive any, forgive each other, and then over everything put on love. And this is, I mean, that is truly what you do. You know, as, as the newness continues on and you start learning new things, is like you um, push towards each other with love. So number two, embrace this season of your life. And, and like, get excited about it. I mean, really, I know, it's, I know it's normal at this point. You're having a baby. But like, this is really cool. And, and it's time to get excited about it. Attitude is everything is a good mantra to keep in mind here. Attitude is everything. And just to maybe give an illustration, are any marathon runners in here? Got a few marathon? Okay, got a few. Okay, you people. I'm going to talk about you people for a second. So I was, I was sitting next to, and my, uh, Ashley's a runner, by the way. She's on a marathon. She's just very good. She's still running. Um, sorry to brag on you. So, uh, you know, I was, I was actually sitting by a gentleman who had recently run a marathon, and I was observing he really was enjoying talking about running the marathon. And he, he continued to tell me about running the marathon and running the marathon. I'm like, this guy is like, you know, he's, he's proud that he ran the marathon. <laughs> And, and uh, as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you know, as he should be. And, and by the way, like, I don't actually think he had a lot of fun waking up early every morning, pounding the pavement, changing his diet, going on these long runs. I think even the marathon itself is probably actually not that fun at certain legs of it. You know, not having run a marathon myself, but mile 18, mile 19, you know, you hear like that mile 20, just sometimes there's this wall that you just have to get over and then run. But my guess would be almost every person you've talked to who has ran a marathon, like, really looks back fondly on that time. They just think that that was one of the most special times of their life, the training they got to do. It's great. And you know, they're either like, it's, it's my favorite thing, you know, that I've done that I'd never want to do again, or I just want to keep doing it. It, it was so great. I want to keep doing it. And that's how you should think about this time. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be easy. But there's something really special about it that you're going to appreciate, and you're going to look back really fondly on it. So you've got to embrace this time. 
Okay, just one thing too. Chris touched on this, but I got to reiterate this for you because you're going to remember this. You're going to be like, they told us this in Expecting Parents. Um, Chris put on a, a dad university class. He does this every now and then. If you're here at Watermark, highly recommend it. But I was in this class not too long ago, and the speaker comes up, and he had four children, and the day before, his youngest daughter had spent her last night in their house before she's going off to college. And I kid you not, this gentleman was like, he was shook. You know, the, the time had come. The rocket had launched. And he was someone who had been very aware that this time was coming. And it was a good reminder for me, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, it goes by fast. And you don't get it back. You know, you've got to appreciate it and lean in right there. So embrace this season. One of the things I would tell you is um, part of the reason why it's hard to embrace it, you will feel inadequate. So if you take a look at a couple pictures here, I know these look, might look cute to you, but like you got to think you don't have a lot of free time. I think we were probably getting ready to go to church. At least that's how I remember it. We go to church all the time in our family. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know where we were going, but like Hopefully not. they did this thing where they just get all this stuff out. They take all the toys, they put them in the crib, they get all their books and they hide them. And they're so good at taking them out and they are not good at putting them back. You know, this is actually going to be probably an extra 30 or 40 minutes. Either we're just going to do it ourselves, which doesn't teach them anything, or we're helping them learn, you know, how to put all this stuff back. The second one, I remember we were in a hurry. We were trying to get all the kids down. If you've ever tried to, like, take a wet wet clothes off of a baby, it just, like, suctions into them. That's like a cotton shirt. And it's just not, you know, and then it's like the, the, all the clothes are soaking wet. And we look back on it now, and it's cute. But, like, in the moment, it was really easy to be like, I don't want to be here. I want to do something else. Can't, can you just get one toy out? Why do you have to get 100 toys out that you're not playing with? And these are funny examples, but, like, um, there's going to be something. We've called the ambulance for one of our babies. We've had three babies fall off the changing table. We've had one fall out of a grocery cart. We've called poison control. Don't worry, that baby was okay. He always had that third arm. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> the baby was fine, by the way. Um, but, but, you know, I say this because ultimately you don't know what's coming. There's going to be something. And, and there, there are going to be things that are hard. Uh, God does not promise us a force field, okay, just because we're believers and we follow him. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Isaiah 28, 16, the one who trusts will never be dismayed. Doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. Doesn't mean hard things aren't going to happen. But it does mean you know who you're rooted in, and you know who loves you and how this all ultimately ends. So you will miss this season when it's over. Embrace it. All right. Um, next is just going to be pursuing one another. Um, one of the like, most practical, simple ways you can do this is look for your spouse first when you come home. Um, it is, I mean, it is seconds, and it, it can mean a lot. When your children are um, watching you or just when your spouse comes in, it is an easy way. Whoever is coming home, whenever you finally meet each other at the end of the day, it stops everybody, and it lets the other person know, hey, this person is a priority for me. Let your kids know that. It lets your spouse know that. Um, and like your child is a welcome addition to your family. Um, they take up a lot of time, but it's wonderful. And I think people get sucked into a lot of like, well, I need to do this kind of parenting and I'm going to discipline this kind of way. And we're going to feed this kind of way and sleep train this kind of way. And, um, those are all great. There's lots of opinions on a lot of those things. Um, and you know, I think people get caught bogged down into these like little details and it's like, well, th my child will turn out well because I did this. Um, and really Luke and I would tell y'all that um, if we know nothing else about you, but we know these two things, we would bet on your children. And it is 
do the parents love the Lord their God with all their heart, and do they love their spouse first? And you will notice neither one of those have anything to do with parenting. It's loving the Lord and loving your spouse. But if you do those two things, like that is what Chris talked about too, of like that's what your children see, and that's what's going to raise your child. Um, so, and you know, and then as you raise your kids, hopefully one of your goals is to like send them out into the world at 18, and they are hopefully successful on some some level. Um, they bless other people. They are um, godly. They love the Lord. Um, but when they're gone, like it is, it is just y'all too. Hey. And and um, so like all the the time that you have taken to pour into your kids has been wonderful, but like you're left with each other at the end of 18 years. And so that can either be wonderful or that can be, that can be a lot. Um, and we've heard parents ahead of us say that like, hey, the kids left and we looked at each other and we had to start all the way back over. It was but like, jarring. Um, so anyways, this is, it's, it's important to do little things now to make the little deposits now. It's going to, um, be a big effect later on. And this doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be these huge momentous things. Um, we would say like, do the little things. It's um, lots of times we'll get babysitters and you know, like we're having to pay for a babysitter. So we also don't want to pay for a large expensive extravagant date night. Um, we will take a walk around the neighborhood. We'll walk for 30, 45 minutes. We will walk up to Starbucks. We'll bring a deck of cards. We'll get a drink. We'll play cards, and we'll walk back home. Bring like, a board game. Bring the game of game, life. Sure. I have so many kids back there. <laughs> um, but, you know, and that's like a very easy, simple date night. It's not huge. It's not extravagant, but it gives us time together. There's sometimes where I will go run an errand, and I've come back, and Luke has cleaned up the house, which really blesses me. I, I function well on organization. And I, I come back, and, you know, it probably took Luke 10 minutes to do that while I was gone. Um, but that is something that shows me that I'm a priority, and he sees me. So it doesn't have to be big. Um, don't feel like it does. But laugh together. Have fun together. Um Babies take up a lot of time. As much as you want to give, they will take. So you set you set the dynamic. You set the boundaries um, because if you don't, they're just going to take and take and take. They don't know any different. That's just that's it. So. Yeah. All right. Number four is be selfless. Okay. So be selfless. But military analogy here. You might think you know the whole whole unit goes out. They're on patrol all day. And the commanding officer is there, giving all the orders, doing this, that, or the other. You know, the military is very hierarchical. They, they come in at the end of the day. It's dinner time. And the mantra is, leaders eat last. That means you make sure your unit is taken care of. They've eaten. They've done everything. And then you as the leader, then you get to eat. And it's a good example of what it means to be selfish, that you need to be thinking about your spouse's priorities before you think about your own priorities. One of the ways, one of the reasons why we think that's so important, by the way, is it's just a great example of even what Jesus did for us. If you think about Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man, Jesus, God himself, came down to the earth not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a, um, one of the things that I, I try to gather and collect or just like from other, other moms and dads and families where they've written like family cultures or 10 things we want to do as a family or what it means to be a good dad. And I just, I just collect all those and try to keep them. You know, I don't know. Some people collect stamps. I collect family culture word docs. But there's, there's, there's this one from a friend of a friend at Watermark, and I, I love this. So he, so he says, I don't play golf anymore. I don't have a gym membership. I don't go on guys' trips, and I just played basketball for the first time in three years because the game starts after the kids are down for bed. At the end of the day, 
this is not a sacrifice. Because that assumes I am or was entitled to this freedom. I knew what I was signing up for when I got married. (laughs) And I know what I signed up for when I knocked Jill up. So the reality is that my responsibilities have changed. And my priority is first and foremost the hearts and minds of the people that God has entrusted me to provide and protect. That guy knows what it means to be selfless. And he has an attitude where he is all in on this season of life. Um, one of the things I would tell you with something like that, I'm, I'm uh, ashamed to say I've, I've run into this before. I've had these days where um, I start off the day and I'm like, oh, I'm having a serving mindset today. And I'll go in and be like, dude, I, I've served Ashley like five times a day, six times, like my selfless score. And I'm like, she's, she's been selfless to me like one time. You know, like it's seven to one, and I'm starting to get a little bit bitter because of how selfless I've been all day, and she's not, re- like, returning the selflessness that I'm demonstrating to her. And I'll start to get bitter about how selfless I'm being, and she's not, okay, which is really sad when you think about it. That's not selfless at all. It's actually the opposite. But, but one, I would say don't do that. Don't keep score. And two, if you do find yourself doing that, like, or, or, or I would say find yourself feeling that your spouse isn't, isn't giving, like, that's a great thing to have a conversation about. Do it gently, do it in a loving way, but, but talk through it if that's where you feel where you're at. But your job is to believe the best and be selfless. All right. Next up, it's going to be uh, finding rest and avoiding isolation. It's going to be part of your new normal um, as you pursue your spouse. Um, we're going to do avoid isolation first just because there's a little bit more to it. But um, you want to avoid isolation in two ways. With your spouse, you want to avoid isolation, and also with community you, or the people around you, you want to avoid isolation. Um, with your spouse, we would just say communicate often. You can't do it too much. Um, communicate often and early. Um, in the same way that you came into marriage with certain expectations, whether you knew it or not, like of how things should go, the same thing applies for having kids. And so you will have kids, and you will all of a sudden realize, like, oh, this is what my parents did. This is what our friends do. And, um, you know, you're both living two, you both come from two different backgrounds. And so that's going to play a part in how you think your child should be parented. Neither of them have to be right or wrong. It's just, it's helpful to communicate about those. Um, And then just make sure that you have a safe space for each other because you're coming with different perspectives and different expectations. It needs to be safe to be able to bring up the concerns and fears. So what I may feel very confident in may make Luke very, very nervous, um, and vice versa. And just because I'm confident in it doesn't mean that he should also feel that same way. But it is on me to make sure that I am creating safe spots for him to verbalize that to me and for me to be encouraging. Um, Because you do want to come to a middle ground. So um, tell out your fear or... um, Communicate your fears, communicate your concerns, um, discuss roles. We would even say, you know, you don't know now what you don't know. And so, like, discuss what you think this is going to look like. Um, make roles and agendas and, and whatnot. Have your baby. And then three, three or four weeks later, be like, hey, let's revisit this. Is this going well? Should we pivot? Nothing that you say now has to be set in stone. Everything is pivotal. Everything can be tweaked. Um, and that is a good thing. Um, 
So safe spaces um, with your spouse and then just with the community and people around you. I know for me, this is a really hard one for me because I don't want to ask for help, but I love giving help and I will help you as much as you want to help. But when it comes to me, I'm like, oh, I, I can't do that. Um, Ashley's one of those people, there could be like a rock on top of her. I'm like, do you need help? She's like, I got this. I got this. <laughs> um, and I just remember one time we had had one of our kids, like our meal train, people had finished bringing us food. It was like the week after and someone random was like, hey, let me drop off a, a dinner tonight. I was like, no, no, it's fine. Like, I got it. I can move. I can walk. Like, we're doing okay. And I just remember at like 4 p.m., everything just hit the fan and like it was disastrous. And it was like 7 p.m. by the time I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, I mean, I was crying. Things were everywhere. Kids were everywhere. It was chaotic. And I was like, why? Why did I say no? I should have just said yes. And we would have dinner and none of this would happen. And anyways, I was like, shame on me. Like I should just let them help. And it's a blessing for me to serve other people. And I need to take that attitude towards others also. Like it is a blessing for people to help you let them. Um, and then also just in the same way that once you got married, um, your married life does not look like your single friends anymore. And that's a good thing. That's okay. It's just an adjustment. We would also tell you, um, that marriage or sorry, parenting life is going to look different than your friends who don't have kids. And that's that's okay. I think sometimes there's a pressure to feel like you have to keep up, you have to keep going, you have to keep doing the same things. And the reality is it's a new season of life and like that it should be that way. Um, and it should be different. It should look different and that's okay. That is normal. Um, so don't, don't feel flustered when you're like, I can't do it. I can't do it all. That is a very normal thing to do. Um, so that's avoid isolation. And then finding rest is the other one. Just rest does not really equate to sleep at this season of life, and I promise that it will at some point, um, but sleep deprivation is really real. Um, I think I've put toothpaste in the refrigerator before. I found milk in, like, the laundry room. Um, I think there was one time I was potty training. some. I was potty training a child. I had a newborn. I was trying to feed him. And someone said, I need to go poop. And so I was like, okay. So I, like, run into the room. They didn't make it to the potty. They had pulled off their pull-up. The poop was on the floor, on the rug. I was like, okay, it's fine. But, like, they're screaming baby. I think this is, like, child number four. It's like, you know, they're screaming baby plus three other children running around. And um, so I'm like, okay, I'll come back and feed you in a second. Like, let's get child wiped up, everything. So I go take them to the bathroom. Well, I had forgotten that I, all of a sudden I hear, it is our Roomba. And it has gone into the room to clean. And y'all, it goes through the poop. Like, I just, I didn't even think about it. I saw the Roomba. I saw the poop. I saw the child. And like, I'm tired. There's a lot of things going on right now. And anyways, y'all, the Roomba ran through the poop, ran all the way around the room before I realized it. There is poop that splattered on every single baseboard, every single, um, like, piece of furniture up on the sheets. And y'all, it was a wool rug. And you have to have special things to clean wool rugs. It's not just like a soap and water. And so, anyways. Those were like, I mean, it was, if I had been on top of it and that like in my right mind, fully sleep, you know, eight hours or whatever, I'm sure that would not have happened because I would have noticed, but I didn't. And, and we had named the Roomba Earl and we were really mad at Earl. At, at Earl. Right? Earl, <laughs> yeah, it was not my favorite at that point. <laughs> you had to clean Earl. Um, so anyways, all that to say like, those, those are things that like, they're laughable and you can make it fun and like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that in the moment. Or you can be really upset and frustrated and that makes your day go two different ways. And so you get to choose, um, but rest, um, rest is important. It, it, sometimes it just looks like, hey, 
Ashley, why don't you go step outside or go take a walk? And, you know, I just need 10 minutes just to kind of decompress. And that's okay. That is restful. Um, but the one of the Bible verses that we really like for rest is Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Um, and this is just, you know, babies aren't going to fulfill you. Your spouse is not going to fulfill you. The amount of sleep that you do or don't have is not going to make or break you as a parent. Like, your, um, your rest and your satisfaction is going to come from Christ and your, your trust in him. Yeah. Number six, view sex from your spouse's perspective. This one, I'll just say here, this is a pretty delicate topic. Uh, this is a vulnerable topic. Um, Part of, part of the reason why, there, there are a few new realities. I mean, one of them is just kind of physical, medical, like there will be six or six plus weeks afterward, but that's just not going to be a part of your relationship. But then after that, if you think about it, like, um, you will have less time than you did before. You'll have less time together than you did before. The time you do have is much more likely to be interrupted. And there's a good chance, it's probably more likely going to be the wife, but it could be either, that, that one partner is just a little bit less interested in this part of your relationship. And, and one of the things that I would say is the reason why this is really important is not because they feel any different way toward their spouse. You know, it's just not on their mind. I did this kind of exercise. I don't know why it took me three or four kids to do this, but I kind of put myself in Ashley's shoes for the day. It's like, you know, you get up, you probably had a really long night the night before with the baby up and down, you're trying to get the baby ready, putting clothes on it, the baby pees, probably pees on its clothes, it pees on you, you're like trying to now rechange the baby, you, the baby's wanting to be held all day, it, it's spitting up on you, you never really get a chance to make yourself look nice, and then, you know, sure enough, I come home at 5, 6 o'clock, coming in, hey, you know, what a great day, this is amazing, and, you know, 7, 8, 9 o'clock, I'm like, hey, you know, I think this would be a, a good night, I'm kind of in the mood, and, you know, if you put yourself in her shoes, it's like, no. I, you know, this is like, this is not going to happen. And uh, I think that is just a really, it was really good for me to realize that. So so what what we would say is, again, um, this could vary, but but usually men, your battle is going to be entitlement. You know, me coming home, being like, hey, I thought like we're married and it's part of our relationship and this is, you know, supposed to be good for us. And and then women, it's going to be generosity because in that moment, Ashley still has to make a choice hey, am I going to be like, generous with my time and in this relationship? And, man, think about this. If you go back to being selfless, think if the battle was really me saying, no, let, you know what, let, let's find another time. And Ashley would be like, no, let's just go ahead and do it. And we get in conflict because we're both trying to be so selfless. You know, that's, that is a relationship right there. I will make a bet on that. <laughs> um, so, so just remember that. There's a lot of vulnerabilities. So if at any point, again, you're, you're, you're feeling some kind of a way, just remember to approach it real gently. And... For both of you, this is your opportunity to live out Philippians 2, 3, and 4. You know, do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value the other person above yourself. And if each of you take that mindset, just that alone puts you in a really good spot. All right, wrap this one up. Number seven, submit to the Lord's will to transform you. Ashley mentioned the two things we, we want to know about you if we're going to bet on your kids. One of the things I would tell you, time with the Lord is essential. Got to fear the Lord. I mean, I was even convicted, like, am I doing things or am I really fearing the Lord? Am I in awe of the Lord? And that's so key. But it's going to look a little bit different during this time. So if you take a look at this picture, this is what's going to happen. You think you have some peace and quiet. You think you have time, and you're just going to fall asleep, okay, because that's what's going on. Um, 
Another one will show you one more picture. So that, this one's me. Here's Ashley right here. And if you look close, you see a cute little baby there, and I'll look at all that. But if you look closely, that's not a baby. That is a bomb. That's a ticking time bomb that at any moment is going to scream or yell or poop or start trying to rip the pages out of the Bible. This, this tranquil moment is not going to last. And you got to use that time when you have it, because it will not last very long. I think so, he did scribble on my Bible. Yeah, I think I think he did scribble on her Bible. <laughs> Took notes, underlining John three sixteen. We're like, this is a beautiful baby here. And uh, so, like, I the first time I ever bought an iPad was when we were having our first baby. Like, I'm going to be up late at night. It'll sure be nice to you know maybe have an iPad or something I could read. We've heard a couple as they download podcasts ahead of time. They're downloading books on Kindle. Like, you got to take the praying, doing prayer walks with the stroller. You got to take the moments you have because it's going to look a little bit different. And I, I would just tell you, like, don't let this slip. You know, John, John 15, 5 says, abide in me. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. This might be literal, it might not be literal. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that is not what you want as a parent, especially trying to raise godly children. You want to be attached to the vine abiding in him. Last thing I'll say on this uh, the other reason why this is so important, this baby will not meet all your needs. Your identities cannot be found in this baby, and man, it's sure tempting to do that. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Okay, So don't fall into the temptation that this baby's going to be it. Jesus is still it. All right. This is hard, but it is glorious. It's amazing. Uh, we're excited for you guys. There's no season like this. It goes by quick. So go do amazing things. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yes, here's what we want you to do. Uh, you can take a break. Anyone needs to use the restroom uh, if you do. But we're going to give you a few minutes. Based on all you've heard so far, uh, answer two questions. What are you most excited about? And what are you most nervous about? Okay, everyone gets to share at your table. Most excited about with the baby. Not about, like, the game this week or things like that. What are you most excited about when it comes to the baby and having a baby? And what are you most uh, anxious about? Or what, uh, what are you, yeah, struggle with? Nervous about. Okay, ready? Discuss. Go for it. All right, check, check, one, two. Howdy, y'all. My name is uh, Mike Frizzell. This is my wife, Marisa, and uh, we have the privilege of getting to talk to you about the working mom side of the house on this one. Um, Yeah, small ring. Yeah, you're good. All right, so uh, go ahead and jump into the first slide for us. Um, All right, how many of you are considering thinking about working? Uh, shortly after having a kiddo, after a couple of weeks of paternity. Yep, and so we, it's pretty general, so it's about half is about the number that we statistically find in this kind of space for that, which is why we throw this in here. Um, For those that are not in that category, it's not really a time to check out a lot of us are in community groups with folks that will be dealing with this topic and going through this topic, so please, in that regard, it's really good. And then um, I have a doozy for us men inside of this baked in too, so guys, please don't check out, so... Um, this is our crew, um, and so, go ahead. Well, yeah, okay, so we've got four kids. Uh, Lucy is 12, Annie's 10, Michael's 7, and Ellie is 4, so we're junior high all the way to pre-K. Um, and just kind of my background, so I work part-time as a nurse practitioner, and I've always worked in some form since we've had kids, other than we had one year where we moved overseas and I did not work. Yeah, and so... Okay, so next slide for us. So this is the uh, army that it takes to actually achieve being a working mom. And so on there on that list, 
um, is grandparents who are currently watching the kids for us as we speak. They're lower left, and then you have Maurice's mom. Um, you've got a smattering of community folks that are often helping out inside of the category. And then over on the right side of it, you have the laundry list of people that are involved that are nannying our kids, babysitting our kids at some point in the last 12 years of pulling this off. And then somewhere in there is a little tiny logo of the Montessori where our kids spend most of their time during the day uh, when we are working in that regard. And so part of this kind of off the bat uh, that we will tell you is uh, if you're thinking about working from home, start formulating your army, start recruiting. Um, it's a really important part having a laundry list of folks that you trust with your kids uh, in addition to folks that are going to allow your kids to really thrive in those environments. And so that is an area that if you haven't, if you're thinking about working from home uh, and you've not yet pre-registered your in kids general. into, sorry, working, working in general, working in general sorry, yeah. um, uh, then uh, in the next, if you haven't yet registered your kids at the daycare of your choosing, uh, you're too late. You're, you're running late. So yeah. get started and wait lists are long in that regard. So Next slide. Um, just congrats on the promotion. You have new roles in your life, right? You are no longer just he and she, husband and wife. You have this new role called mother and this new role called father. Um, men, be advised, um, God himself calls himself by this term. So no pressure. There's, just, there's, there's very little to do. There's no responsibility whatsoever in that respect. But you and God now share this role um, called father, and it's a big deal. So and so in that regard, we're going to be talking about working moms, but in reality, uh, we are all, theologically speaking, we are all taking on a new role in this regard, and fatherhood is no small thing. And so for moms, this is your new role. You're stepping into something new. Um, you are going to be the hands and feet of Christ to your baby and to your husband and to your family, and that is a new thing. Um, you're going to be discipling kids, training them, teaching them, cleaning up messes. There's, it's just one of the most physically sacrificial jobs you will ever have um, and for me just one of the most like refining periods of my life um, and so kind of as we're going forward think about you know the phrase of like there is no greater responsibility than raising the next generation so that is a, a really high calling for us and so do you believe that parenthood and motherhood is a unique and complete calling so the next role that you're going to be jumping into is husband and wife. Um, and by that, you have jumped already jumped into that particular one. Um, husbands, uh, this is an area where you are going to enter a time um, where you have the ability to lead and serve your family like no time before and no time after. There is this really vulnerable period that your family is stepping into. Um, you don't have the hormones racing through the body that your wife does. Uh, you are not brand new to oxygen going through your lungs. Um, and so you get this opportunity to serve your family in a way. And I will say, step up for it. This is knight in shining armor time. This is a time where we as men get to make sure water bottles are filled at all times and that there are clean things available, clean nappies. And if there's something that needs to be clean, jump in to go do it. Most of us, the, the secular world has embraced this period of time, and most of us now have paternity leave as men. Um, I don't know if that's all of us inside of the room, but we get some amount of time off in that respect that we get to step away from work. Man, take an advantage to really serve your family. For ladies, um, you know, the role is changing, and so you have to think about priority stack um, and where the priorities are. And so we know that, you know, first things first. So our relationship with the Lord comes first, and then our husbands, and then our child. Um, you're, you and your husband is what formed the family, not 
your baby. So a baby is a welcome addition to your family, but it is not what has made you a family. And so when you're evaluating things, when you're processing things, remember the priority stack. It doesn't always feel like that, kind of as the previous speakers talked about. At the beginning, it's a lot of, it doesn't feel like your husband's the priority, but, and it feels like your child is, but it, in reality, the priority stack is different. And so then we get to your role as an employee. And so um, uh, jump into the next slide, please. And so the whole point of this talk is to talk about work. Actually, is that the next slide? Never mind. Jump back. My fault. Um, and so this whole point is to talk about, talk, uh, talk about work, and yet we've spent all this time talking about I'm a dad or I'm a father, and now I'm you know, a husband, right? And now I'm an employee. Um, it's important. It's, it's, it, that is intentional. Right? Work is tertiary um, to the other priorities that are there. Right? Scripture is clear. Seek first is his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added unto you. This is part of the all the other things that will be added unto you aspect of that. And so, men, I'll speak to you as a man in the corporate environment, in, this, in that setting of striving to care for my family, now having to think about paying for college, right? striving to be able to build those things. Cheat at work. You will run out of time. You will run out of yeses. And the question is, is who will get the no's, right? Will your work get the no or your wife get the no? Will your work get the no or will your newborn child in your house get the no? Like somebody's going to be told no in this process. You literally will not have time to say yes to everything that is expected of and wanted of in that respect. And so our encouragement to you, my encouragement to you is cheat at work. Um, one of the things that um, when I process this with community and others inside of this context, um, the comment is turn in a B. Like how many of us are striving for that A all the time? I mean, it's just A, A, A. We're going for it. We're going for it. We're going for it. And I would go in this next little season of life, Ecclesiastes talks about, Ecclesiastes talks about seasons of life. Consider work as an opportunity to turn in Bs for a little bit. Right? For those of us that have HR departments in our life, get a meets expectation. For once in your life, don't get a far exceeds. Right? Get that meets expectation. Why? Because you are working on the other things that are important right now in your life in this season of a very, very small human being added to your family. Um, 1 Peter 3 contains the scariest verse in all of Scripture for us men. Right? Live with your wife in an understanding way, lest... Your prayers be hindered. God stops paying attention to you if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way. And this is a period where you get to do that in a way that is new and different. And so learn that job. Get an A at that particular job inside of that context. Um, story for you. Um, so uh, our first child was uh, learning to walk 10, 11 months kind of time frame inside of that context. My, my work, uh, I was doing... 75 nights in New York City, uh, be advised, that's about half time in New York City. And I, I remember very distinctively, I'm dating myself a little bit, my, I got a Blackberry movie from my wife, uh, and um, I, I was sitting at a Marriott, and I was having dinner with my boss, and I got the video, and he, my boss noticed a little sag in my emotions, or were my emotions on my sleeve a little bit, and he's like, what's wrong? And I slid the phone across the table, and it was a video of my first child taking her first steps in her kitchen. And he goes, is this Lucy taking her first steps? And I was like, yeah, and I'm eating a Marriott burger with you. 
And he goes, ah, maybe, maybe we should change that. And I was like, maybe, maybe we should change that, right? Which started a conversation with my employer um, to pivot my role away from being the deployment guy that was out at the edges deploying this particular capability um, and backing into a design role, right? It was a full pivot of what it is that I was doing in that regard. And so um, our encouragement to you is be willing to have the conversation with your spouse. There's a really hard question and we're saying this out loud in front of both of you for this reason, but be willing to be able to allow your wife to ask you this question, or you rather should ask your wife this question. Is there anything about my work that you're afraid of? As you enter this next period of vulnerability, is there anything in your, about your work situation that you're afraid of? And have the conversation, guys. Like, have it. Like, sit on your hands. Don't get angry. Don't get defensive. Like, have that conversation. You might work too much. You might travel too much. You might not make enough money that, to allow her to stay at home. Whatever it is, like, have the conversation and then be, as much as you are able to, be proactive in fixing that. And so, women, as we think about um, the decision of whether to go back to work or work part-time or stay home full-time, um, I think there's, you know, kind of two sides of the horse that you can fall off on and two lies that we hear um, just kind of in our culture. And first is the lie of feminism that, you know, you can do it all. You can still have a baby, have a great marriage, take care of your kid, do everything that you've done previously in your job and excel um, because you can. And, and that's a lie. You know, you're adding in a baby. You're adding in another human that you are taking care of, and you just cannot do it all. Your capacity changes a little bit. And you may be a high-capacity person, but you also have to realize the priority stack and how that changes. Um, my, when I worked um, previously before we had our first, I worked at um, a hospital, and I was used to doing, you know, extra things with my time. Like, I, I could do research. I could do volunteer work. I could do all these extra things that were great, and I loved them. Um, but after we had Lucy, you know, I was like, I would love to do these things. And, but me saying no to these things makes me have, you know, kind of like a B, like Mike was saying on my review. But that's the choice you have to make is, like, I can't do it all, and my priorities are different now. Um, and so that's kind of one side of the horse. The other side of the horse and I think especially in our culture um, here in Dallas sometimes too, it's like, and I'm, I'm kind of playing this up a little bit, but, you know, oh, well, if you don't stay home with your kids, then you must not love Jesus, and you're not going to teach them about Jesus. And there's just this whole um, aspect of, like, you're a bad mom, you know, if you don't stay home, and that's not true either. Um, there's a lot of great people that are doing both things. And so... When we started giving this talk back in like 2017, 2018 timeframe, um, there was a pretty significant pivot going on amongst the staff at Watermark, where the, the staff at Watermark were, when, when most women got pregnant, they were, they were leaving staff. There was, it was not really an option to, to stay. And there was a massive pivot that occurred. And the, and the elders went, and, the, and there was a lot of conversations with it. There was a variety of folks. There was a couple of really courageous women who went through the gauntlet of having those conversations about it to where now the position is simply different, right, than it was. And so we are here now actually celebrating the fact that there's a, women's, there's a ministry for working moms at Watermark, right? There is the opportunity for us to stand up here and talk about this in this context because the Bible does give the freedom for women to work. Um, the elders do have a statement on this particular topic, and so just for clarity, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that, and that is, our elders hold the conviction that in most cases, the highest and best use 
of time for a mother of small children is for their care is in the care of those children. Right? The highest and best use in most cases is for the care of women in that regard. But Scripture does not demand that particular thing of women. Titus 2 is obvious, is the typical verse that uh, most folks go to. There's a word inside of there that in some of your translations is translated homemakers, right? And if you go and look at the, con- uh, the, the context of that particular scripture, there's this contrast set up, and there's this phrase inside of there that can be interpreted as, as and women should be homemakers, right? They should stay at home in that regard. Um, there's then these other verses that are inside it that are obviously women that are working in Scripture, right? The, probably the mo- one that's most highlighted in that regard is Proverbs 31, right? She's got an Etsy shop going, right? She's got, uh, she's her own commercial real estate, buying like grape yards and vines and all that kind of stuff or whatever along the way. She is straight up Julia Childs in the kitchen, right? Bringing foods from afar to feed her family in that regard. Um, and then very recently added to the talk, she's a Vera Wang, right? She's straight up making clothing and doing all kinds of work inside of this context, right? And they go, hey, she's not, a, she needs to stay at home. It's like, wait a second, there's this exemplary woman that Solomon sets up that is obviously killing it and doing all of these things. And oh, by the way, women, if that set of scripture doesn't overwhelm you, you didn't read it. Like it's a really, really difficult aspiration to achieve in that regard. There's a capacity there that is just very big. Um, and so there's a component inside of this that we would say, know thyself, right? Um, some women, um, I'll brag on my wife for just a minute, um, whenever she is challenged with all of the kids needing to be to all of the places and all of the times, we have four kids and all of them are in sports and activities and ballet, all of a sudden, systems appear. There's like checklists and it's on calendars and all of a sudden people are picking people up from different places and I literally am handed, she's going, she's going away for the weekend, she handed me a two-page and it's literally every single thing I have to do with any of the children, just ding, 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 right down and the system is in place and there's like one challenging spot in the whole thing that will work out in the next week because like she is driven to that kind of tasking amongst that kind of complexity. But when you hear all of that and it brings anxiety inside of you to the point of potentially even paralysis, and that's not a negative thing. It just is a capacity thing. They are different in that regards. I would go, know thyself. Know your own capacity and being willing to go after it. That laundry list of people that we threw up there, those are all people that are in our phones ready to go on a moment's notice to text in order to be to help us care for those kids. And so that's the challenge of uh, in that regard. Go ahead. Oh, and then next one, next slide. Um, and some processor motives. So this gets into the community side of the house. And so this chart is intentionally manipulative, right? You look up there and you're just like, ah, big house, right? Of course, they're going to throw that under the bus, right? Uh, that minivan is mine, right? That's not a fancy minivan. That's like a regular minivan. Yeah, the, old version. Yeah, the older That's version the of that one, right? <laughs> but then you go to the next one, and you're like, ah, oh, I want my kids to go to private school, right? We have a lot of people here at Watermark whose kids go to Coram Deo and other private schools. Those are noble and good things. And yet... It's really expensive to go to those places, and so working is a challenge inside of that. The big giant pillow right there, that's Pine Cove. Like, Watermark staff kids get to go to Pine Cove as part of their compensation plan. That's a good thing, right? It's also like 1600 bucks a kid times four, and you're like, ugh, maybe we can't afford to go to Pine Cove in that regard, right? So Aggie football games, going on vacations, competitive sports, and then there's this motive of... I want to be, like the important people are at the head of the table presenting at a, I want to be somebody important at work. 
and there's identity inside of that right. context. So just to kind of touch, you know, as you process, you know, reasons and heart behind working good and bad, the negative would be, like we talked about, the golden handcuffs of maintaining a certain lifestyle, a certain zip code, a car that you drive, those types of things. Um, and then identity, um, you know, is your identity wrapped up in your job and your career? Um, and are you working because being just a mother is not enough? First Timothy 2 talks about motherhood as a high and complete calling, and so for us to believe that, we need to kind of think through our priorities. Um, a, third a third thing is just apathy. Um, as you guys have heard us say, parenting is really hard, and you're about to get into that. Um, but are you avoiding some aspects of parenting um, by going to work? Um, and a fourth thing that has kind of come up recently of um, just feeling like somebody else can do it better than me. And so I'd rather have have my kid with a nanny or with like a childcare that's awesome and I go back to work. And so those are some kind of the negative things about processing the decisions to go back to work. Positives um, is the question, but I wanna work, I like what I do. Is that a noble thing? I think it is. Um, it just doesn't trump other responsibilities. My work is worth doing, your work is worth doing, you know, and so it's like, how do I balance those two things? Um, you can balance um, you can do those things, but does it come to the detriment of your family? And so how then do you process, right? Which is our, our next slide in here, and that is process with community. For those that are members here at Watermark Community Church, we're all inside of community in some regard. Um, our community story um, started with us being the only one in our community that wasn't didn't have a working mom. Uh, excuse me, we were the only ones that were going to work. Um, and there was a lot of conversations about whether or not too much was wrapped up into it, right? Our identity was wrapped up into it. Why did we want to? The motives behind it. Um, I proceeded to write a six-page thesis on why Scripture allows that, and there's freedom inside of Scripture for it, which, by the way, turned into a six-page talk um, in that regard when we were doing that, going through that process. And so uh, my comment to you is know your Bible, right? Know your own understanding of this particular topic in that regard um, and dig into it with community. Um, if you're the first ones in community, um, you know, there are circles inside of things, ministries like Square One um, and The Nest. We've already mentioned the ministry is called Tapestry. Um, the Working Moms one? Yeah. Right. Woven. 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 I knew it had something to do with that. Excuse me. Oh, right. Woven is the ministry for that. But there are also, I think in the back of your book, there is a chart that is going, that has like a decision matrix that has those questions in there too, that you can process with community and process together. And one of the places where we land and eventually found consensus is that working moms um, is a Romans 14 topic. So real quick, Romans 14 there's like people eating meat and it's being sacrificed to idols and people are like, you can't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols because it's been sacrificed to idols, that's wrong. And Paul's like, no, there's no such thing as another God. There's only one God, right? So I'm allowed to eat meat if I, my conscience allows, but, and there's this whole thing that they go through inside of that, right? And so a couple of little snippets of Romans 14 that I want to pull out um, as we go through it is in verse 13 of that chapter, it says, give grace to, to those who land differently than you. So if somebody lands on that position, their conscience is different than you, our role is to give grace, right? To extend grace to them. Verse 14 says, your conscience on this topic makes it right or wrong for you, right? 
So whether or not your conscience and convicts you towards this topic is what makes it sin or not sin in your life. Verse 22 is, don't take this talk as license for you. Like my conscience doesn't clear your conscience. Like this is a topic that you need to wrestle with and get to the ground with. Only the Holy Spirit can give you a clear conscience and that only if it's informed by scripture, right? And so scripture, Holy Spirit, community speaking into your life, that's where we get to form our view on this particular topics. And then if, the, if your conscience isn't clear, if the Lord is convicting you about this topic, then it is sin for you. Right? And so you're welcome to go back and read Romans 14, but those are the little snippets that we pull out to go. As you're processing this in community, we have to walk inside of this boundary with respect to our values and our views and our convictions and those of us that are around it. And, you know, we have had to reprocess this every time we've had a baby. When we moved back from living overseas, um, you know, talking to community about me going back to work. Um, and so just kind of know that even if, you know, whatever you decide now is not always going to be what you're going to be doing forever. Um, like Mike said, like, we've had people in our community who started working and then they realized this wasn't going to work and they stayed home for a while. Now they're back to work. So it can really kind of be variable, but just kind of have open hands as you're going forward in this because you will reevaluate. So Ecclesiastes talks about there being seasons of life. And I, and our final kind of last encouragement coming on the backside of this talk is consider this little phase. And by little, I mean, there is a tunnel it will come to an end. I know it feels like it when you're not sleeping that it'll never end, but I promise at some point kids sleep, right? Um, but it is seasons of life. And so consider this season as different than the season that came before. And also keep in mind that it'll be different than the season that comes next. And so the decisions that you're making right now, I don't really care what they're about, but it's a decision that you're making for a finite period of time. And this little cycle is a guy that now has four kids and 12 years of experience. They have more kids, but similar amounts of experience inside of it. It's a season in a window, right? And so treat it as such, make decisions around it as such, and then know that when the next season comes, right, you get to make different choices and different things along the way. And so with that, I think we got your three minutes back or five minutes back. I think we're back on time. Um, all right, so next is probably table questions again. What are we doing? Sorry. I think what we're going to do now is go ahead and split up. So, um, yep. ladies, you can sit at your table there. Guys, we're going to go to the next room across the hallway there. And we're going to have 20 minutes to, uh, to do some Q&A time together. If, um, yeah, we'll give you just about two minutes to get over there, and then we'll get started. Guys, if you want to grab uh, in your folder, there are some things just for men at the end, uh, just for the husbands at the back there. If you want to grab those to take with you, you can. Okay, let's get started with some questions. I'm going to unmute y'all. Ashley. And... Okay. Um. I just have a mic. Oh, sorry. Sorry. And oh, I'll walk around. Y'all raise your hand. Any questions you have? Get <laughs> away. Yeah. You do better if you separate. Okay. Any questions? Let me shut this door. Yeah. Okay. 
It's <laughs> fair. <laughs> so in times past, I feel like we've kind of used it for like questions you do want to ask with mixed company, like if there is like questions about like body changes or hormone stuff or like after baby comes or relationship stuff. Not that it has to be like that, but just ideas of, or if you had questions about what we talked about. Yeah. Hi, um, my name is Courtney Becker. Um, Maurice, all right? Uh -huh. Okay, my question's for you. Yeah. Um, I'm planning to go back to work. Uh -huh. um, is there anything you'd recommend putting together like a maternity plan of what that time, I guess, coming back onto work, like uh -huh. what that could look like in transition? Yeah. So um, I would say give yourself a lot of grace for the first couple, like three to four weeks of getting back into a routine. Um, so I breastfed all my kiddos, so I was pumping during work. So I would invest in a really good pump that you can take to work. And then I would build in pump breaks during your day. Um, and what I did was I had like four sets of pumping equipment or three sets so I had it at work where I wasn't having to clean them in between I would just like have a dirty bag of stuff and I'd take it home and clean it at the end of the day everybody does it differently and now they have like hands-free pumps I've not used those but I've had people that have liked those so if you're breastfeeding just kind of bake in time to pump um, so one of the group one of the couples in our foundation group right now she's going back to work this week and she's actually doing She's taking um, a couple days of PTO each week that she's going back. So she's not returning four days a week. It's her full-time was four days a week for her. So she's, like, working one day the first week, two days the next week, just to kind of ease herself in, which I thought was pretty wise. Um, and then, it, like, she's also having her mother-in-law watch the baby the first couple of weeks. So depending on what your child care situation is. Our, all of our kids started at this Montessori uh preschool like from three months on and so that was what we always did but um, and then I would you know just kind of see where you can cheat at home as far as like paper plates plastic stuff put stuff in the freezer you can pull out for later save your um, gift cards that you get for like DoorDash when you get babies and or when you have the baby and then like use that maybe when you're going back to work so you're not having to cook or eat out those nights just kind of figure out where you can cheat you know have a housekeeper kind of maybe those kinds of things and just have a lot of grace. I remember, like, like you know, crying as you're taking your baby and feeling so guilty during the day. And it's just hard. It's a really hard transition. But as you get used to it, the baby gets used to it, you get used to the people caring for your baby, you feel more comfortable. It ends up, at least for us, it was like, okay, this is doable. But I really, the first time we took Lucy, I was like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? <laughs> like, I feel like I'm a crazy person. So hopefully that's helpful. I'll also speak into that. Um, I went back to work, but I was in ministry. Um, but I would just communicate really well with your employer, like what their expectations are for you. If you could do something part-time coming back and then fold into full-time yeah. just for your own sanity and transition. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of debate, but for me and Robbie, it worked really well that we scheduled our kids. So, um, 
I just immediately, and you'll hear Erin Smith next week, she'll speak differently than me on this, and she's a nurse, but um, I just scheduled and fed them every three hours, nursed, and then slowly went to four hours and then five hours, and so by the time I went back to work, they were sleeping through the night, so that really helped kind of having a full night's sleep for me than, you know, not, so... Um, just whatever works for your family with that, but that was something that really helped Robbie and I, and we were on the same page with that, which I think is really helpful. And yeah, I just think it's such a teamwork. I mean, I could have never worked without all the things that Robbie did. So, um, I took women out to lunch that did the same job that I did and was like, okay, how do you do it? I just had a list of questions and I went home and I was like, okay, Robbie, this is what Ron does. And he was like, I can do that. I can do this. I could. And we just worked together in that. So take advantage of women that have gone ahead of you and ask, how did you do that? How did you do this? And that type of thing. Okay. What other questions? My name's Natalie. Um, my question's for you about the scheduling. Did you follow, like, a, a book or a plan, or do you have whatever you did? Yeah, I used the Baby Wise book. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of debate on that, and <laughs> a lot of people, it works great. Like, my brother, you know, it's called, like, Growing Kids God's Way. And he was like, we didn't do that. We grew kids Satan's way. You know, and it's like, <laughs> no, it's not that. But I think some people feel like if you don't do it, you know, you just aren't growing kids God's way. And it's like, it just worked for us. And I had some friends that, you know, mentors that did it. And so I was able to, like, call them at midnight and be like, what do I do about the pacifier? You know, and just those scary questions. Like, I'm just going to scar this child for life. <laughs> I think there is another, um, so baby-wise is a scheduling thing. There's another one that is a little bit more relaxed, too, called Moms on Call. I think they have an app also yep. that you can, I don't know. And taking it. care of babies is another one that people use. But I would just say, mm -hmm. like, those are great and they're tools, but also your baby is maybe different. And there's going to be sick days. There's going to be growth spurts. There's going to be teething. There's all these things where... It just, like, I remember being so frustrated because I would go to square one with my first who, no matter what we did, did not sleep the way that I wanted her to sleep. And everybody else's babies were sleeping, and I was really frustrated. And so comparison is a thief of joy. So just be careful and, like, it's awesome if those babies sleep, but your baby may not, and it's okay. You will live, too. <laughs> My name's Bree. Um, my question is, like, around just baby coming, family coming into town, mothers, mother-in-laws. Like, what have y'all seen be a blessing, and what have y'all seen be hurtful or frustrating? And how would y'all encourage us to think about that? <laughs> um, I think be as specific as you can on whatever. I think Everybody wants to help, so I think if you can think of very tangible things for them to do, I think that's helpful to be like, okay, and ahead of time to be like, okay, like this would be really helpful if we're going to do X, Y, Z, 
could you wash the dishes for us while we wash the baby or, you know, whatever it is. But um, I don't know if I have any specific examples, but you know, thinking through s- tangible things for them to do. Yeah. Otherwise, I think they just start to do and do. Yeah. And it, it's great, but it's like, ah, I don't really want to do that that way. And then they're like, well, we did it this way. I'm like, well, I know, but I want to do it now this yeah. way. And then that becomes, could become. Yeah. Conflicting. We, um, so Mike kind of was the bouncer. And so we kind of had like a code I don't know if it was, like, a phrase or something where he, like, knew where I was done. Like, okay, people need to leave. And he would kindly tell his mother and other people, you know, okay, it's time to go. And so that was helpful where I didn't have to be the bad guy. Yeah. Um, breastfeeding or having to feed your baby is a great excuse to leave the room. And always. so you can always be like, oh, I have to go feed the baby. And you have to go back. And they have to and go. And y'all, people will bring meals, and they will stay for a very, very yeah. long time. Yeah. And like they're just so excited to see you and to talk to you, but that's where it's helpful to like have your husband or yeah. to be like... Put a cooler on the porch. <laughs> yeah, you can put a cooler on the porch too. Um, or to be like, hey, yeah, come, and then tell them they need to come like 10 minutes before you have to go feed the baby. So that, they, I mean, they, they will stay yeah. for like an hour or so, and like you're you're just tired. Really and You tired. just want to go sit. Yeah. So... so. I know um, my mom came, we were out of town, and my mom would come, because I went back to work for a short period of time, and she would come, like, Monday through Friday for, like, a couple of months, which was so kind of her, so I could finish out my work, Um, and she would take one of the night shifts, um, like, one night a week, and if if Caleb woke up, she would go get him, she'd bring him to me, I'd feed him, and then she would take care of him, getting him back to sleep, which was really kind. I mean, you know, your your mother, mother-in-law has to buy into that and want to do it too, but it was a really nice way, and I think she felt like she was really helpful too, because she, she felt great the next day. We actually had a guy, um, one of the guys in our community group, when we had our fourth, we were just so tired. He's like, I'm just going to come from nine until midnight, and you and Mike can go to bed, I'll hold the baby, and the baby can sleep or whatever. If the baby's fussy, it's fine. And I'll just be here from 9 till midnight. And then I'll wake you up when I leave if you need to feed the baby. And it was wonderful because we both got to sleep. Because mm-hmm. for a while, you know, it's like like tag teaming. Like, okay, I'm going to go feed the baby. Then I'm going to go to sleep. Then you got the baby. You know, it's like a back and forth. So that was such a gift of just three hours where we could mm-hmm. sleep. Tangenting off of that. Um, we have found it really helpful to have, like, Luke take certain nights of the week. And then I take certain nights of the week, and um, like right now, I'm I stay at home, and so you know he, I will take, I think it's Sunday night through Thursday, and then he'll take Thursday through Sunday, and then that way it's like he's rested for work, and I'm at home, but then I also get a few days, you know, where it's like I can just go back to sleep, and he takes the baby, and whatever happens after that, it's like I don't know, but he's got the baby, it's fed, and. You know, if it takes an hour to go to sleep, then Luke's on. But anyways, that's been helpful for us, too, just to have certain days set where he takes night night shift and then I take a night shift, too. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Ashley. Um, this is really for any one of you. Um, so I feel like the transition of going from, like, when you're married, kind of sex is on the table and whenever you want, really. And then when you go to transition from 
you give birth and there is that medical period where you can't physically. <laughs> um, yeah. But then that transition going back to, it's kind of like turning the faucet all the way on when you get married and then turning it all the way off and then turning it back on again. <laughs> so <laughs> what is that, like, were there things that you did to help prepare one, like physically your body, but then also like mentally and spiritually to like be in a place where you aren't begrudgingly being like, okay, fine, where it's more of like that selfless act. But I know like physically, mm -hmm. for me, it takes longer to get there sometimes. And mm -hmm. so it's like, it's a challenge for us prior to a baby and I don't want that to be a challenge when that baby gets mm -hmm. here and that mm -hmm. whole and like your body is mm -hmm. really different <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so just like was there anything that you did to like help prepare that you found helpful just kind of as you've had more children to like make that transition mm -hmm. that's good um well so physically I would say like it, it does take a while, especially after the first time you have a baby, like everything's healing. And so um, lube, <laughs> buy it and have mm -hmm. it. And no because after you have the baby, your hormones go drop. down zero. So you're like really. It, it, like you're dry. I yeah. mean, it, it hurts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just painful the yeah. first couple of times. Just your body's getting used yeah. to it again. And especially Which if you like good. tear or like you've got stitches that have healed. For me, it was like super painful the first couple of times. But I, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, now we can do it again and, you know, trying to make it work. Um, I think just patience on both parts. And I think, too, when you're not supposed to have physical sex, that first, like, four to six week period is just doing things for him um, to help, you know, or, like, sometimes it's just taking a shower together. It's whatever it is to kind of alleviate um, that for the guy is helpful. Um just kind of tactical things to, that I'm just thinking about, like those are things you could do. Um, I would say too, like as you're kind of in that fog of not sleeping and you're just tired, like for me, I'm kind of like you where like it was, it took me a while to want to have sex because I was, you know, there's a baby on me all the time feeding from me and I'm tired, but just to like, like put it in my phone as a reminder or schedule on the calendar or like wear sexy underwear just so I was like, oh, remembering that, okay, tonight's the night I'm going to initiate and do it early in the night where you've got more energy or do it during a nap time or try to find a pocket of time that's not a time that you're the most tired. That's helpful. I think that we, I mean, we still do this <laughs> with like just because there's so many kids and stuff too, like we'll schedule it because it helps me to prepare myself mm -hmm. mentally for like what's coming instead of it being sprung up on me and I'm like, boo, well, the day's been, you know, and like, how am I supposed to get ready for this? Um, sometimes it's helpful if it's like, okay, I know Thursday, we have already talked about it, you know, on Monday, we're like, hey, what would be, a, looking at a calendar now, knowing things might change, when do you think a good time to have sex would be? And just scheduling, so then we both know, like, hey, the expectation is that probably on Thursday, we will have sex, and then if something just goes totally downhill, you know, I communicate ahead of time, like, hey, I don't know if I'm feeling it tonight because of X, Y, Z, but, and this is, and Lucas said this is so helpful for him, is like, but can we reschedule four? And he's like, just knowing that there is a time coming, even if it's not now, is better than just like, nope, sorry, it was a bad day. And it's like, mm. okay, well, now what? You know, um, and so that's been, it's been a, a big game changer for us to have like scheduling it, but then also if something happens, 
being like, hey, I still want to. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't. Here's when. Can we try again for another time? And, you know, like your body changes so much after, like, being pregnant and then having the baby just to remind yourself, like, that your husband still wants you and wants your body, even though it's a different shape than what it was before, and it may be bigger in different places. I mean, your boobs are usually really big, which is awesome. They love that. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, just kind of accentuating those things and just just trust that, like, he still wants you. He still wants your body, and you're it for him. Uh, I think the best lubrication is called Pink, P-I-N. You can get it on Amazon. It doesn't leave a residue, but it dries really quickly to to get after it. Um, And then I love what you said. Just, I mean, there's other ways to get him there besides intercourse. So be creative and have fun with that. We have great names for it. And so the biggest thing is communication. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just that first time or that first month and it hurts. I mean, you just communicate and you talk. That hurts. Okay, let's try this. Let's try this position. Let's do this. We need more pink. I mean, just talk and communicate. He can't read your mind, and you can't read his. So, and you've honestly, got the to first couple of times it. afterwards, it's not like it's not the movies. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> can you please go okay. slow? Like, I'm just <laughs> reminding you, can you please go slow? And like, I mean, but that's helpful. It's helpful yeah. for me. Yeah. It's helpful for him. Like, he doesn't want to hurt me either. You know, sure. and so just communicating that way too. Okay, last question. Yeah. We'll end with Diane. Diane Kirstead. Um, I think, so one of my questions is, like, during the first, like, year or two of having a child, I think a lot of the times schedule is dictated by the mother. Um, how do y'all allow or have seen your husbands lead out during that first, like, couple of months to years? As far as schedule? No, as far as, like, head of the household, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think there's a part of women who we try to control our baby schedules. Mm -hmm. And so that can obviously leave an impact on the husbands of feeling like, well, I just have to do whatever my wife says. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys encourage your husbands to lead? For us, that has looked like when, like, with sleep training, um, when he could tell that I was, like, at my wit's end, he would be like, all right we need to change something. Like, he would kind of let me do what we needed to do, but when he saw that what was happening was impactful to me in a way that was not great, he would step up and be like, all right, we need to make this change, and you're not going to like this. You're not going to want to hear your baby cry, but this is the best thing for you and for the baby and for us. And so accept my leadership here. Go get in the bathtub and turn the water on so you can't hear the child crying, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, for our last kid, I'm, like, the weakest link, and so I had to sleep upstairs. He's like, you just need to go upstairs and do not listen to the baby. I will, you know, I will do this. So that was just kind of a practical thing. Um, Tracy, what have you got? Um, I think I, I mean, dads are really fun. They're more fun than I am um, (laughs) because I'm the schedule keeper, right? And I do set the schedule for a lot of this stuff. And so even just allowing um, Luke to be, like, the fun person for our house, and it's like, okay, I, I am exhausting all my resources and creating schedules and systems and all this kind of stuff. Can you take care of, like, what we're doing on Saturday morning um, and figuring that out? And, you know, it, I, it's just something that I don't have to think about, but then he has ownership of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, you know, obviously he disciplines and stuff too, but 
know, these like are fun ones. I think, too, just realizing that, like, the way that your husband does something is not wrong. Like, there's ways that I feel like you should feed a baby and you should change their diaper and you should always bathe before you do this. Um, but Mike may have different thoughts on how that should go, and it's not wrong. It's just different. And so if I'm going to allow him to be a, an awesome dad, I need to let him do the way he wants to do it, you know, and let him lead our kids in whatever way. Like if he wants to go throw them upside down in the air, that's not my preference, but he's being the fun dad, you know, and it's okay. <laughs> and so just kind of my way is not always the best way, and he does things a different way that are also equally as great and being okay with that. And I think um, we did this pre-kids, but we've done, it's become more important for us now post-kids is on Sunday nights, we like go through our schedule for the week. And that was a time when we could sit down and I could verbalize like, hey, this is what I saw go well this week from like a scheduling standpoint, from a system standpoint, and bring him into that. And like, this is what I'm thinking about changing or tweaking what do you think or do you have any ideas on that and then that way like we're both buying into whatever system we're we're putting in place um, versus me just telling him hey we're going to do this or we're going to do that it's hey this is what I saw this is what I'd like to change Mm -hmm. what do you think I love it so good okay next week will be more let me pray for us and then we can um, connect with our husbands okay Jesus, thank you so much for these new moms. Thank you for the road that they have ahead. I pray, God, just for their families. I pray for their marriages. I pray for their decision about work, that you would just go before them and make it so clear. Thank you, Lord, for this evening, and we just commit everything that we talked about. I pray for the things that were from you, that we would remember those and cling to them. And those that are not, we would just not dwell on and quickly forget. And thank you most of all that you know us and you love us and you died for us. In your name we pray. Amen. See you all next week.